Mr. Ian Colbert, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Mark. Uh, Mr. Colbert, now that this has been declared by the WHO as a pandemic, what kind of process or protocol does that unleash uh, in Canada? It really doesn't change anything in the Canadian context. Public health officials have been monitoring the global and domestic situation for over two months. They've been leading efforts to contain the spread of the virus and working with healthcare providers across the country to deal with people who have fallen ill. That will remain and continue and evolve as the epidemic continues to evolve in Canada. Now, the government, the federal government, has said it's going to uh, give a billion-dollar package to cope with this disease. And, and what's your sense of the effectiveness of that? Well, certainly, given the current state of the outbreak in Canada, I would say it's an appropriate response. Uh, and it's making sure that uh, provinces and territories have the resources that they need uh, in order to respond uh, appropriately right now. So $500 million is going to provinces and territories for critical health care system needs uh, and mitigation efforts. So that could go towards anything from improving and access to testing and increasing the number of people who are being tested, which is crucial, to purchasing equipment such as ventilators, which are absolutely necessary for people who have fallen ill. And of course, we need to continue to enhance our surveillance and monitoring programs. Uh, and that's where public health uh, officials identify someone who's infected and then do contact tracing to identify people that person may have been in contact with so that they can be notified and take appropriate prevention measures for themselves. Now, the government has said that $275 million of that money is going to research how helpful is that going to be? And to some extent, is this not a little bit too late because the horse is out of the barn, so to speak? It's never too late to invest in research when it comes to novel coronaviruses because this is brand new. We've never seen this particular virus before, so it's during the outbreak that we need to study how does it change, how does uh, it respond in different contexts, and you can't wait until six months later to do that. But some of this funding is going to go into accelerating research on antivirals, which can be used as treatment, as well as vaccine development and clinical trials. So it's all part of the growing body of knowledge that we need to have in order to be prepared for the next outbreak. And there will be another outbreak somewhere down the road. Well, that brings up another question. Uh, when was the last pandemic? Uh, H1N1 uh, was the last pandemic uh, where you see really a worldwide, a global spread of a virus. And uh, so that was about 10 years ago. But this is being called the coronavirus. But in fact, it's a coronavirus, correct? That is correct. In fact, there are many coronaviruses. Um, the common cold is caused by a coronavirus. This is a novel or a new coronavirus, which we have never seen before. And our understanding to date is that it, ha it is a zoonotic disease. And what that means is that it has crossed over from animals to humans. And that is often how we see new viruses coming into the, the human environment. Well, Mr. Colbert, because we had experience with coronavirus in the past, how, how difficult is it to, in fact, fight one? I mean, are they that different one from the other that something that may have worked with the H1N1 will not work with this one kind of thing? Well, absolutely. In, in fact, H1N1 was an influenza virus. 
we have to go back to 2003 and SARS to uh, for lessons on how to address a specific novel coronavirus. And certainly some of the lessons from SARS have been implemented. It's why we're seeing our, the Canadian numbers not skyrocketing like we have seen in other jurisdictions. Uh, our containment protocols are working. Uh, people who do require medical assistance are notifying health officials before they uh, proceed to an emergency room. But once they are in a hospital setting, they're being dealt with and isolated uh, so that they cannot contaminate other people. A big difference between SARS and uh, this coronavirus is that our understanding to date is that this coronavirus is only spread through droplets that come through coughing or sneezing. It is not airborne, and that changed the protocols for how we can deal with people who are ill. But if somebody coughs on a computer keyboard, for example, and somebody else sits at that computer keyboard a couple of hours later, can it be picked up that way kind of thing with their touching the same keyboard with their fingers and then sort of rubbing their chin or something? Absolutely. So, And that's why a hand-washing protocol is so important, uh, that you wash your hands regularly for at least 20 seconds with soap and water. If you can't access soap and water, then using an alcohol-based cleanser uh, is, is a good alternative as well. But also, try as hard as possible uh, to not touch your mouth, your nose, or your eyes with an unwashed hand because, as you just indicated, that is a great way to get the virus from a hard surface uh, into your body. And so try to avoid that as much as possible. Now, you mentioned the SARS bears some similarity to this COVID-19, as it's being called. Do these things kind of die out on their own after a while? Or how do we sort of get rid of it? We got rid of SARS and, we, and MERS, which was the Middle East version. What What is likely to happen with this one? Often it is the envir environmental conditions that uh, make a big difference in getting ahead of uh, the spread of a virus such as this. Uh, just as seasonal influenza is seasonal for a reason. It enjoys the cold and, and, and damp weather that we experience during winter, uh, but does not do as well in the hot, drier weather of summertime. Uh, We're anticipating that COVID-19 will react in the same fashion. And so that's one of the things, but our containment efforts become really critical that uh, as we have seen in locations such as Italy, Social distancing uh, um, uh, orders may come into force if we see a sharp increase in the number of people being infected. So social distancing could, in the extreme, include closing down uh, theaters, people where places uh, of worship where people gather, uh, non-essential uh, stores uh, for shopping, uh, and, and at the extreme, schools and daycare centers. Mr. Colbert, what is the role uh, of the Canadian Public Health Association in a situation like this? We're really there to support the efforts of the federal government to get information out to Canadians. Um, despite this story being the top news story on every broadcast, um, there's still 
a lot of misinformation out there, uh, and so we're working on social media platforms to uh, debunk some of the myths and, and bad information that is being put out there, uh, and also making available to Canadians just the basic information so in a number of different formats so that they understand what their level of risk is, what they can do to protect themselves, and what they must do if they're going to, uh, if they feel that they might be, uh, have been exposed to COVID-19 and might be infected themselves. Mr. Ian Colbert, thank you very much for this. It's my pleasure.